0: Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast, and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for almost 30 years and have been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. More and more we hear of the impact of carbon on our society and environment. Recent data said that operational carbon, the carbon that comes from energy, heat, lighting, etc., is becoming less of a factor And now the attention is being turned and shifting towards embodied carbon, the carbon dioxide emissions associated with the materials and construction processes throughout the whole life cycle of a building or infrastructure. Today we're joined by Andy Buccino, Mike Brown, and Sarah DeVito, who are all very active in the Northeast HERS Alliance, or Any HERS. They form the core of the NEHERS Alliance Embodied Carbon Working Group, which is interested in collaborating with individuals and organizations that can help achieve the following goals. Adaptation of the HERS Index software to include embodied carbon in the calculations and conducting a baseline study for the Northeast. Additionally and simultaneously, they seek support from energy efficiency programs to help incentivize the market and adopt carbon tracking as a standard practice. Now, ResNet raters already collect data to produce detailed reports defining operational emissions for the HERS index. And much of the same data overlaps with data needed to calculate embodied carbon emissions. They've worked on a worksheet that outlines the approximate 65 data points that can be used and applied to both operational and embodied construction carbon emissions. And with some simple software innovations, as they suggest, it's possible to produce an embodied construction carbon calculation is a quantifiable output. You can learn more about and join with the activities of Andy Hers Embodied Carbon Working Group at a link in the show notes. And that's andyhers.org forward slash embodied carbon. it would be a great big help if you sign on the letter of support at the link. So let's hear the conversation with Andy, Sarah, and Mike about embodied carbon. going to go around in alphabetic order and ask you all to introduce yourselves first with Andy.
2: Thanks, Bill. Real happy to be here. I work for Stevens & Company, a small production builder on Nantucket Island. And I've been a builder for 25 years and a HRS Raider for five. And really excited to talk about Embodied Carbon with ResNet and with HRS Raiders. Looking forward to the opportunity to tell everybody what we've been learning about in the past couple of years here.
1: Were you located again?
2: Nantucket. Nantucket. I'm, yeah, there Massachusetts. Go. Got it.
1: Okay, I guess alphabetic order next is Mike Brown.
2: Hey, Bill.
3: I've been a hers Raider for the last 15 years, and I'm current president of the Northeast Hers Alliance. Before that, I was a CNC woodworker, and before that, I was a wooden boat builder. And I studied materials science and engineering in school. I love being a hers Raider, and glad to be here.
1: Very good. And that's interesting with the uh, wood and embodied carbon. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit. And last but not least is Sarah DeVico. Sarah, hello. How are you?
4: Good. How are you? Great. I'm Sarah DeVico. I'm with Building Efficiency Resources. I've been a hers for getting near 20 years now and a QAD and I'm very active with the green building programs, LEED, NGBS, Enterprise Green, and all of those.
1: What a lot of talent and history on the call here right now. So it's great. So defer to Mike and tell us any HERS. Tell us a little bit about that organization. And it seems like that's what's brought you all together. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. From the time I started as a HERS reader in 2007, this has been a group that was set up for training and consistency across the whole Northeast. So we had providers working in different states and they all decided to collaborate to develop a common reference manual and training manual, and then deliver common trainings. So I took a training with this organization and I've stayed involved ever since.
1: And now you're the president. Is that a role that gets elected every couple of years? How does that work? Correct.
3: Yeah, and there there are term limits. I've actually served a full term and then was off for a while and came back. And that's just on being a board member. I was trying not to be president for a very long time, <laughs> and finally they put me up.
1: <laughs> and one of the documents that you brought forth as we prepared for this podcast was a letter of support for the Northeast HERS Alliance Embodied Carbon Initiative. Is this something that Andy could speak towards?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We started the Embodied Carbon Committee couple of years ago now, 2020, during COVID, picking up some interesting points and ways we could really dig into embodied carbon and what it meant for hers Raiders. And we really did a deep dive into what the landscape looked like for embodied carbon. And we realized that there was likely a role to play for our industry, for Hers Raiders in the United States. And as we proceeded, we realized The only way it was going to happen for raiders was likely through a standard. And so in our discovery sessions, we realized that getting support for that standard was an important tool in showing ResNet that there was broad-based support through multiple industries and government bodies that would really validate what this mission looked like.
1: How was the journey? What kind of reference materials did you use to support this? It, it seems like it's a term that we just spoke about before we started here. We're hearing a lot more about lately. So where did you gather information from?
2: Well, we started at the beginning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> With a carbon molecule. Uh, right? During- <laughs> yeah,
2: one molecule. 25 years ago when I started framing in San Diego, you're cutting up all these trees and it's all wood construction out there. You start to see what that looks like from a forest management standpoint. And that's where it started for me. And I think it was probably around the same time you started to get some traction in government bodies and the way people were starting to perceive carbon of materials. So we started there, we started at the beginning. What does an environmental product declaration look like? What does a life cycle analysis look like? And a life cycle analysis would be and the total carbon imprint of a material so we reached out to to different organizations that were doing some really important work like the carbon leadership forum located out of the university of washington and they've really been the backbone of the movement nationally and reached out to other software developers that were building these epds and building databases of environmental product declarations to build the support for the tracking of it because if you don't have material specific carbon inputs, then you can't really understand what the whole house is doing. And so there's been an awful lot of work nationally to build out these databases, to build out what the workflow looks like. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Maybe how do you design around carbon? How do you design around embodied carbon in particular of materials?
1: Almost sounds like product labeling for foods. Is that a good parallel?
2: Yeah, you nailed it. It's exactly right. I mean, you look at a nutritional label on a box of Cheerios, and we like to see those same things kind of across the spectrum for the materials that we're putting in our buildings. And there's tens of thousands, in fact, probably close to 100,000 now in circulation.
1: Wow. Sarah, let's get your voice in the mix here. Is this of interest for you personally or for you at the Bayer Building Efficiency Resources?
4: It's a bit of both. So Andy touched on life cycle analysis and the product declarations. And these are things that we already see in little fragments as far as the green building programs. And so they're already out there. And one of the things that interested me both professionally and personally in it was how do we get it more mainstream with so many options for some of these things out there? That's really what it's going to take is somebody needs to aggregate what's out there, make a decision on what's best to go forward with and take those next steps.
1: Sort of a jump ball question here. What's attainable now for a builder to do in terms of reducing embodied carbon?
4: There's a lot of different ways that it can be accomplished. Certainly from a material standpoint, the less material that you put in the building, the better. So we know that even moving towards advanced framing is a way that you can start to see some reduction in terms of the materials. We also know that concrete is a big player in it, and there's a lot of opportunity there for reducing the amount of concrete that we put into buildings.
1: You would provide me with a resource from the new Building Institute, the Lifecycle GHG report. Is that a good reference for me to list for others I think we want to look into this for a little bit further information?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great one. I think that in all the reading that we've done in the past couple of years and file sharing, that one really stood out as a comprehensive top-level overview of what the embodied carbon landscape looks like. And it's funny, some of the references to number of EPDs And the nature of the way communities are starting to acknowledge embodied carbon, even though it's only a few months old, is already outdated. So I think that note references some 50,000 EPDs or 60,000, but now in the EC3 tool, they're approaching 100,000, and that's in just a few months' time. So the acceleration of the market is really what's interesting. But that's a great example to show the dynamic nature of where the industry is from an Embodied Carbon of Materials standpoint.
1: Use an acronym there, ECC, was that right? The EC3. EC3, what is that?
2: The Embodied Carbon and Materials Tool. It's put out by Building Transparency. In fact, that's a byproduct of the Carbon Leadership Forum and, and many other industry players, including Microsoft, that have pushed the envelope, so to speak, for materials carbon acknowledgement of EPDs. So they've got the most comprehensive database in the country. With that said, we talked a little bit offline earlier about uh, Passive House, and the Passive House tool of Embodied Carbon is actually using the EC3 database for its inputs. Got it. The
3: name of that tool is uh, PH Ribbon, if anybody wants to look it up.
1: PH Ribbon, thank you. How about the components of this? I'm starting to put this together in my mind. There's the product declaration that the carbon that it took to create the product that's being used. There's operational carbon. I picked that up from one of the things you sent me. That's over the life cycle of the building, what it's going to be using. And that kind of thing can be adjusted. What about things like, is the cost or the carbon impact of, say, transportation or mode of construction incorporated into any of this at all?
2: It is. One thing that we're advocating for is that it can be, but we're advocating that it doesn't at this early stage uh, because it's uh, kind of a wild card variable. We're looking at the first three phases, the extraction, the fabrication, and the production of the material as the three metrics that would get baked into the environmental product declaration. And many EPDs do acknowledge those other capacities, those next phases, including transportation and the installation on site. But all the metrics point to over 75% of the embodied carbon impact coming out of the ground to the production of the material. So just to level the playing field, we're looking at that as being the real driver. And I think that that's an industry movement at present.
1: So the 75% comes from the extraction, fabrication, and production? So,
2: If not more, yes. That's conservative.
1: And how do you eat an elephant? You have to start somewhere with one bite. So <laughs> that's an awful big bite, 75%. So kudos to you on considering that. So walk me through, are there builders leading this charge too, or some that are tightly tied into this? I know you said you work for One Stevens & Company. Or is, is this something that you offer or are you investigating?
2: It's an early investigation. But what we realized as we investigated, that it's actually a present opportunity. It's a live game right now. And you ask about builders, one of the premier tools that's emerging right now is used in Canada. It's called the Beam Tool, Building Emissions Accounting for Materials, and it's sponsored by Builders for Climate Action. And we think, and Mike can speak to this, but we think that recognizing the builders as partners in this process is really a vital component. As it's evolved, it's really been focused on the design side. So early phase passive house construction, and that's why the passive house tool is a good example. It's been driven by design. But what we recognize is that raters are verifying what's put into the buildings. So we have a real opportunity, being that ResNet processed 300,000 ratings last year, we've got a real opportunity to raise the stakes and up the game and work with builders, work with designers on the real installed values. We're already tracking a huge amount of the information necessary to put together a comprehensive whole building lifecycle analysis within embodied carbon outputs already in the radar tools that we use.
1: With that being said, is there a standard underway to do this within the HERS landscape?
4: There's not at the moment, and that's really where some of our efforts come in. So you ask who's driving this. In a way, we're driving it at Neehurst. There's bits and pieces that are coming from other interested parties. So there are some builders that are interested. There are some municipalities that are already showing interest in adding these kinds of considerations to their codes and programs. And then from the standards perspective, there isn't anything to address embodied carbon yet, but we are starting to see RESNET. It has some efforts towards the grid, carbon from the grid, and addressing that. So there's a standard that's out at the moment for review that takes that piece of it into account. There are efforts in programs all over the place for electrification and part of the goal there, getting away from fossil fuels. There's all kinds of efforts beyond just the energy efficiency scope that we've focused on. And so There's not a standard for it yet, but that's really what we're hoping to get to so that not only is there consistency in how it's being addressed, but then it can become something more of a marketable metric tool that municipalities and other program sponsors can then use to make it more mainstream.
1: And just like anything we said before, it has to start somewhere. So is there a... Calculation or a sum? What's the end result? Is there a score or a number or how is the data put together?
3: We don't have something yet that's in common use, but I was reluctant, Bill, to go down this path initially and. I was actually president at the time they were forming You mean come out on the
1: podcast? You're reluctant to do that?
3: (laughs) No, no. The the whole embodied carbon piece of hers rating.
1: I'm just poking fun. Okay.
3: Honestly, I'm nervous about asking hers raters to do more. We already do a tremendous amount when we're on a job site. And are we going to be... What's the impact of every additional straw we throw on the raters back? we got to be careful about that. And so I'm looking to make sure, and this is meaningful, and... Honestly, when I was first trained as a HRS Raider, we were told it was relatively trivial. So back in 2006, most homes were not anywhere close to Passive House. Net zero wasn't really a topic. Energy Star was 15% better than the 2006 IECC. And we were still seeing a ton of operational emissions and the impact of that dwarfed embodied carbon. So if we needed to use a lot of embodied carbon to reduce those operational emissions, everyone agreed it was fine. Go ahead and do it. But the landscapes changed tremendously since then. Passive House is uh, common for me to work on now. Net Zero is all the talk at the IECC. I'm actually on the IECC 2024 Envelope and Embodied Carbon Subcommittee. And isn't that interesting? They have a envelope and embodied carbon subcommittee. Someone over at the IECC was really thinking ahead when they set that subcommittee up. Unfortunately, we only had one proposal in front of that committee for carbon at all, and it was about operational carbon. So the IECC was a little bit ahead of the proposals, believe it or not, for this type of thing. And I think perhaps in the next round, we'll we'll see people putting out proposals with respect to embodied carbon. I had to work to convince myself that this was worthwhile at all. And the way I do that, you might appreciate Bill as an engineer, I build myself spreadsheets and I try to work out exactly how it's going to happen. And I'm Bill's a big calculator, basically. I have a calculator where I look at the emissions from embodied carbon and annual carbon. And I was trying to figure out how we're going to create an index out of both of these things. They're different. You could have an annual carbon index, which is the rated homes annual carbon divided by a reference homes annual carbon. Straightforward. You could do the same thing with embodied carbon index, the rated homes embodied carbon total divided by a reference homes embodied carbon total. Both pretty straightforward, but you can't just average those. So, a first puzzle was how do I put these together? I actually showed it to my son, who's a math whiz, and his first thing was that's just a derivative. <laughs> He saw calculus immediately when he saw it, so I'm bragging about my son here. (laughs) Okay. The point is, the longer carbon is in the air, the more damage it does. It takes a very long time for it to be removed from the atmosphere. So the carbon that goes into the atmosphere initially is up there a long time, doing a lot of damage. And then annual carbon accumulates over time, more and more and more and more, a very different type of a metric and so i've always loved metrics digging in not to what's the most appropriate metric i'm thinking now in terms of combined impact or damage from carbon in the atmosphere so this is an integration of the annual emissions plus the embodied emissions up front and it ends up being a relatively simple formula It looks like physics embodied carbon times years plus one plus one half of the annual carbon times years squared. And that's your combined carbon damage. The units would be tons of CO2 times years. Now you have a metric which compares the impact of annual carbon and embodied carbon, combines the two. You would put the rated homes combined carbon impact over the reference homes combined carbon impact and have a new index. That's what I think can work out. I think it's important to consider the two in the context of each other, so that we don't lose sight of what's most important for each particular project. From the beginning, I thought HERS readers' main role was to help people focus on that which would have the most impact for any particular project. We're always trying to filter out all the noise for our clients and let them focus on what's most meaningful. So I don't want them focusing on trivial things if there's something else much bigger they could be doing, And the real interesting thing is embodied carbon now it is no longer trivial when we're approaching electrification and a grid, which is all based on renewable energy. Embodied carbon is all that's left. What I find really, really exciting about all of this is that when we start measuring all this and evaluating it all, we're going to end up in a place where we're no longer trying to do the minimum harm, but we'll be trying to do the maximum good. In other words, we can have annual emissions, which are negative an energy-positive home, and we can actually bury carbon during the construction of a building. So the net impact of building a home ultimately could be positive. And then you've flipped the script from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality, where the more we build, the better.
1: I like the scarcity versus abundance. I use that in my thinking sometimes too. Kind of helps me get through roadblocks as to, should we do this or shouldn't we? But having that in the scope of things. Let me ask whoever would like to answer this, or maybe in your own answers, in the absence of a rating or a standard, what are the generalities, general things you could do to reduce embodied carbon in a building in in new construction? I guess that's what we're talking about mainly. What are some of the general things you could do?
3: One of the things I've seen recently, I think it was in the Journal of Light Construction, was a non concrete basically slab on grade. What did they call that? Did anyone else see this article? It's been showing up on newsfeed and I haven't really dug into it yet, but the point is use less concrete. That's the number one thing. If we're talking about the Herds Raiders job here being to focus on them, help people focus on what's most impactful of all the embodied carbon items, that's the most impactful. Reduce the amount of carbon concrete you use and look for sources of concrete that are less carbon intensive.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely the biggest thing. And I've heard from conference sessions past that we don't need slabs to be as thick as they are in residential new construction. So a lot of the time things are constructed the way they are, because that's the way it's always been done. And so to an extent, it's just a matter of someone taking the time to really rethink, is this the way that it needs to be structurally? Do we need this? So that's a piece of it. And then being willing to consider other materials. I'm fortunate to live up in Vermont, and we've got a lot of very innovative thinkers up here, including the builders at New Frameworks. And they were one of my first exposures to green building beyond the concept of just energy efficiency and even water efficiency. but they were my first experience of a straw bale house. And it can be done. It can be done up here in Vermont where it gets really cold and it can still look aesthetically pleasing and function the way that we want a house to function. There are new insulation products out there that use things like mycelium. They're exploring a lot of these new things that are out there. And that's another way that we can have an impact.
1: I sort of have an idea what mycelium is, but I'd like you to explain it to the listeners.
4: It's basically mushrooms. (laughs) Okay,
1: that's what I thought.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's fungus and they grow it and it's this tight compressed, it looks like a rigid foam board kind of a product. It's just a compressed set of mushroom.
2: One thing that we've done at Stevens and Company is we're trying to shift the dialogue. We did a lot of research into passive house envelopes and we've got all these different wall and roof assemblies and early design phase a couple of years ago was, we well, yeah, just add a ton of foam to it. And so we're talking about assemblies that have six and eight and 10 inches of rigid XPS foam on the roof and four inches to the outboard. And so we're trying to look at that and say, well, how can we use cellulose instead? And so there's common assemblies that show a, a TGI to the outside of a framed two by four wall. That's really a sacrificial wall that's designed just to receive your insulation. So there's some really great innovative ways to pick up carbon sinks in those systems. Another thing that we're doing today, we're pouring our second ICF foundation this week, in fact, which uses about 25% less concrete. It uses less rebar. And we're really looking at the metrics of all these things and trying to understand how we're reducing our own impact. and. Looking at the EPDs or the Environment Impact Declarations of concrete is a great example because they're using different binders inside that concrete. What does that look like? A company in Connecticut is making this binder out of pulverized glass. So they're recycling glass and using that up to 40% replacement for Portland cement. And so there's huge impacts in these things. What's interesting about that example is you're able to do real-time environmental product declarations on delivery. So the mix coming out of the plant is actually being acknowledged on the output side of the concrete nozzle. So the sophistication of the technologies and the way that they're able to track concrete is probably the leading example now because we recognize that it's the biggest building material used in the world. So a lot of focus has been really driven into that to try to understand that Washington State in particular has hundreds of concrete EPDs just from their local factory, local plants there. So that's what we're trying to do here as a builder and get a good cross-section of how we're being impactful and how we're able to drive change with common materials. Though I would love to use mushrooms if we could grow them in our own backyard.
1: I was fortunate enough to see an additive construction laboratory at Penn State University they're using basically like a concrete without forms. It just comes out of a no- robotic nozzle and it paints the wall, paints it, it sketches it. It's 3D construction. It's like a builder kind of thing. CNC. Yeah. So what's the next step for someone listening to this podcast? What's the next thing? And I'm gonna, maybe each of you have a different take on that. So I'm going to start with Sarah. What do you think the next step is for someone who's listened to this? What should they do next?
4: They can sign on to our letter and get involved with the work that Nehers is doing around this, but also just starting to bring their own attention to it and the attention of the people around them. A lot of what happens in this industry and what needs to happen is educating each other, educating the builders, educating the consumers. And so it's finding out about these environmental product declarations and analysis tools and trying to incorporate that into how you design or how you, as a rater, might talk to a builder about choices that they're making.
1: Is there any session planned at the future conference on this topic?
4: We are actually recording a session for the conference. Yep.
1: Not right now, are you? (laughs) (laughs)
4: This is going to be it. Yep. We're just going to can this. (laughs) Ah, All right. There you go.
1: Two for one. Thanks, Bill. Very good. Yeah, (laughs) you're welcome. So that'll be at the virtual conference, which is coming up May 3rd through 5th, I think.
4: Yep, that's the plan.
1: Very good. What's the title? Do you have a title for your track? It'll probably say something with embodied carbon. Is that a good guess?
4: Something like that. I don't know, Andy, do you remember what it is?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Introducing an embodied carbon standard to ResNet. Perfect.
1: All right. Thank you, Sarah, for that. Next Steps, Mike. What do you think is next for listeners?
3: I'm always thinking in terms of the mechanics of the process and we want to end up, how we get there. We need a software that can manage this. So, a HERS rating software that incorporates embodied carbon. And it's not a stretch to think we could be doing this very soon. In fact, it could be very similar to a software that Ecotrope set up before they focused on HERS rating as the main HERS rating software. They had a tool called the Optimizer. And the Optimizer was a way of running thousands of scenarios of models with different choices for each type of feature where the annual energy cost was compared to the construction cost. And for every feature, every choice in the library, there was a dollar cost metric. It might be a dollar per square foot or a dollar per cubic foot, or there were different ways of defining it for different materials. But we ended up with a scatter plot that was graphing annual energy versus the upfront costs. And every point, every dot in that shotgun blast of a scatter plot, was a different combination of scenarios. And that helped you drill down on a handful of scenarios, which would be on the lower left side of that plot on a line, which they call the parietal curve. And only if a point landed on that curve that ran through that side of the plot could you say it was really optimized. That software got me excited as soon as I saw it. And I hope it comes back one day. But Now there's more than one use for it. We simply replace the dollar cost of materials with the carbon cost of materials. And you can run the same analysis. In fact, you could run a multidimensional analysis. So you had dollar cost and carbon cost of the material and the annual emissions and annual cost of, of energy. So we can start packaging all of these up. It's not a stretch. The software is close. One of the next big steps will be then figuring out what the reference home should be and getting that cooked into a ResNet standard. We're uh, one big step in that direction with the ResNet CO2 index. And I think we need to follow that with the discussion of how embodied carbon can be added to that index.
1: Very good. And Andy, what do you see as the next steps, either for the listeners or for the whole? project, scheme, idea.
2: I think Sarah and Mike hit on the real high level points, education and outreach and starting to kind of beat that drum. It's out there and it's available now. These tools are well, embodied carbon EPDs are available today. And so starting to look at those things critically, but letting people know what's a concern, the coordinated effort of our process, what's the coordinated effort of the industry. To start to bring this to the residential marketplace, and the residential marketplace is somewhat underserved, which is why we feel like there's a great role for HERS raiders. and software's that segue. So my personal next steps are to take a rated home that's a SIP house, and take the outputs from our software, from the ResNet software, Pro software, and run it through the Embodied Carbon Beam tool. And I'm going to use that as an example for our slide deck for our upcoming conference session. And I'm just going to change a couple of metrics and show how those really impact the embodied carbon of a very simple building, going from an SIP building to a straw bale building. And personally, I'm looking at having a panelized straw bale building built in Maine, delivered down to Nantucket and put in my backyard. So I'm going to build a second dwelling. And so you've inspired me with your own show and your own building. I feel like it might be a great way for that education piece to say, hey, these are the parts that you can do today and really improve that whole workflow. I think that's a big challenge. But we've got a lot more to say about it, and it's coming up in the session.
1: Thanks for the mention on my home project. I presented a couple of times, and I called Living Inside Your Theories is one of the things, literally. And it gives you a different perspective. And i actually less engaged than you are, but I'm sort of a hyper-aware consumer. So you're going to see things a little bit differently with us through some different lenses. That's great that you're doing it. So is there a place on the NEHIRS site where someone can learn about this or a link I can put in the show notes, especially to that letter that Sarah mentioned a little bit earlier? If you could just send me the link, I'll put it in to the show notes and we'll take care of that for you.
4: Betsy's the one that handles a lot of that stuff. <laughs>
2: Yeah, sorry, we all went cold.
4: <laughs> <laughs> she keeps us all focused and knows where everything is.
1: Okay.
3: Bill, I can fill it in, though. It's anyhers.org forward slash embodied dash carbon.
1: Well, someone was thinking when <laughs> they wrote that up. Excellent. I always try to get something a little bit personal from each of the guests. So You talk a little bit about your background, but... I'm just going to go backwards in reverse alphabetic order this time, and starting with Sarah. What motivates you to work on this? It's not like you need other things to do. Am I right?
4: Oh, I've got plenty to do. For me, it's the other stuff that keeps me busy that's a lot of my reason for doing it, right? It's my kids. I've got two little kids. We know there are a lot of climate change issues that are happening right now. And for me, education around this stuff is a big driver. And so that's been the bulk of my environment. I live up in Vermont and it's still pretty nice and pristine up here. And I'd like to keep it that way.
1: Very good. Mike, for your motivation.
3: I want to live in a world of abundance, not scarcity. And that takes a redesign of our systems to get there. And the embodied carbon is a critical part of that. Thank you. Very nice thought. And Andy?
2: Yeah, it is. I appreciate you talking to that cradle-to-cradle outlook, Mike. It's really important.
3: Absolutely. I should mention the book, William McDonough and Michael Braungart, No Relation. <laughs> <laughs> that book was really formational for me. And if you ever find a copy of it, I highly recommend checking it out. But the phrase cradle-to-cradle cradle, has been commonplace. I'm not sure it was before that book or surely before that book. And it speaks about redesigning for abundance and introduces the topic of scarcity and abundance, and how we have to
1: flip the script here.
2: Very good. And scarcity and abundance in particular, and a future for our kids. My kids are a little older than Sarah's, and we live on an island that's got sea level rise impacting us on a daily basis. Projections on our seawalls. We had an exhibit last year that showed a 15 foot sea level rise by 2050 here in various circumstances based on the storm surge. So it's really impactful. And our island's getting ready. We have a Coastal Resiliency Plan, and we're getting ready to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to combat this. So it's kind of real time for me. And if we can use the embodied carbon piece, then I think we have to. What was interesting about this exploration that we kind of embarked on was that there was a void in the way that it can be rolled out. And I think that's why we're all excited about it. I think that we see a real opportunity and acknowledging things like ResNet's One Tree Pledge and the CO2 standard and what we're working on. All these different components are showing that Raiders are having a great impact socially as well as economically. So I'm real excited about it.
1: Great. And uh, you had sent over for some materials, talked about the natural parallels with HERS data collection. All of you did really spoke to that point today, so it seems like the way to roll this out has been discovered. Congratulations. Thanks, Bill. Welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Res Talk podcast, and listeners, take a look in the show notes. We're going to have some good juicy links for you there, and look forward to having this team back together maybe in a year or so and see what progress has been made. I'm sure there will be plenty of progress. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. I really appreciate
1: it. You're welcome. And thank you, Sarah.
4: Thanks for having us.
1: I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast, where Andy, Sarah, and Mike described to us and taught us a little bit about embodied carbon and housing and some standard changes they're looking to make, software additions. If you're pro in the building market, you can surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today by Ralph Waldo Emerson, Science does not know its debt to imagination. If you'd like to feedback to ResNet on what you heard here today, or would like to hear a new topic covered, or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet, if you've not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for RezTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Res Talk.